Hello, I'm Anita Tank. Welcome to this special podcast from the global strategy team at Standard Chartered. Now, recently, we brought you the global economic outlook for 2023. And on the sidelines of our recordings, Eric Robertson, Standard Chartered's global head of research, and I got into a conversation about the US dollar. It was really very interesting. Recent dollar declines seem to have sparked a flurry of editorials on future prospects of the world's most prolific currency. The US dollar, of course, is the language of global trade. Yet we find ourselves asking the question, is King Dollar at risk of being dethroned? That's the title of a recent thought from the strategy team. Why might they even ask this? Well, instead of me telling you, Eric, the very author, is here with me to do the heavy lifting. Eric, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I think this is a really timely conversation, isn't it? Why did you decide to write about King Dollar? Well, good afternoon, Manisha, and great to spend time with you again, as always. Look, the dollar has become a hot topic of conversation again. And I think part of the story relates to the fact that really over the last 10 years, the dollar has been the strongest currency. I mean, if you go back to January 2013, the dollar started what would become a 40% rally against a broad basket of currencies, which concluded with the dollar making new record highs near the end of last year. But since then, as people have been talking about the Federal Reserve potentially ending its rate hiking cycle, talk of a U.S. recession or a global recession, we've seen the dollar come under some pressure. And so it has sparked quite a bit of debate about whether or not the dollar's peak is now well behind us. Is it a cyclical decline? Is it a structural decline? And of course, during periods of geopolitical uncertainty, there are always discussions about where does the reserve currency of the world belong? And should it just be one like the dollar or should it be more than one and include other currencies? So that's the reason we wanted to start writing about it and talking about it. You and I have talked about dollar exceptionalism. Something that came up in this write-up of yours was this idea that that has now unwound. Can you just give us your reasoning behind sharing that thought, let's say? Let me give a little bit of historical context because there are some spectacular statistics If you look at the period of 2011 to 2022, the S&P 500 outperformed a basket of emerging market equities by about 130%. And that correlates very well with the dollar strength that we spoke about a minute ago. But another thing that's interesting is if you look at that time frame, if you were a dollar-denominated investor, and you put your portfolio into U.S. treasuries, U.S. credit, and U.S. equities without ever taking any currency risk, you would have outperformed a more diversified currency basket by a significant margin. And so for investors, the incentive or the motivation was, well, I'll just keep my portfolios in dollars. And we started to wonder about what the reasons for that were and what might change. Now, U.S. interest rates potentially being near the end of their cycle, the U.S. economy starting to underperform other global economies. All of these are factors which I think erode the notion of U.S. exceptionalism. I don't think it's a finished story, but certainly the early days. And if we look at U.S. growth expectations for this year, which are hovering marginally in positive territory versus growth expectations in Asia, which are expected to come in around 5%, all of a sudden, the notion of, of alternative investment destinations really starts to make sense. Yeah, it certainly does. And I'm actually even more interested now because you talk about US exceptionalism again and say that that story might not quite yet be over. And yet you think it's still too soon to predict USD demise. So why is that? 
Well, I think we have to make a distinction. When people talk about the decline in the dollar, there is a cyclical story, which we believe in, which is to say that as U.S. interest rates peak and as U.S. growth underperforms for a period of time, which is our expectation for this year, the demand for dollar assets generally should decline. Now, that's a very different story from talking about the demise of the dollar or the dollar losing its reserve currency status, which is not part of our forecast or our baseline scenario. But, you know, suffice to say that the dollar remains the largest currency in reserve manager portfolios. The dollar is still the largest currency in usage on the SWIFT payments platform. And so I think while it's very comfortable to talk about dollar depreciation in a cyclical sense, talking about a structural demise of king dollar, I think is premature. So let's stick with the cyclical story. I want to talk about indicators because there will be some specific indicators that we need to look at that would show us that no one's abandoning USD anytime soon. There's two ways to think about this, Manisha. The first of which is to just look at global trade. Now, you don't need me to tell you that global trade is losing some momentum this year, and most of that is because of the decline in demand from Western economies. But within that decline in global trade, there is a, a very positive story of trade between emerging market economies. And if we look at how trade is denominated, it is still very much a dollar-denominated industry. Another example is what reserve managers are doing with their portfolios. And there has been a steady decline in the weight of the dollar. But it's very hard to point to any particular currency individually that is replacing it. The euro is at a 20% portfolio weighting and has been for a couple of years. And all of the other currencies are increasing, but from very low single digit levels. And so even though the dollar's portfolio weight has declined, it's still the dominant currency with a weighting of close to 60%. Now, something that came along with your notes was the section where we looked at US treasuries, because this is obviously a really important area. And we've also seen a bit of offloading there. Now, there are various reasons why that can happen. Obviously, that's going to have an impact for the dollar. Is there a long-term threat lurking there? There is certainly a long-term risk, although I would describe it as a lower probability event than many other people in the industry. We have seen in the past, for example, that countries like Russia reduced their U.S. Treasury holdings over the last five to eight years. And there's always been a fear, for example, that China might significantly reduce its U.S. Treasury holdings as a form of financial leverage over the U.S., I don't buy into that narrative. I don't think that that's accurate. We have seen a decline in, in China's U.S. Treasury holdings over the last couple of years as they have elected not to roll over U.S. Treasury positions that have matured. There is also the potential that last year when China's currency was depreciating against the dollar, they were selling some U.S. Treasuries as a part of the intervention program. So there are, again, some cyclical stories which suggest that different reserve managers and central banks around the world may be reducing their treasury holdings, but there are probably just as many who are increasing their treasury holdings as there are decreasing. So I'm not convinced that that's an imminent warning sign yet. Slightly different twist on things. I just want to talk about something that's been very much in the headlines lately. I know that you have been asked about it in the international press as well. This is talk 
of a debt default by the US. Now, this is something, and I hear you sighing, this is something that comes up on the regular. Even rumors of it have seen a ratings cut before because this is something that would be destabilizing for everybody. What is your view on the latest take on this and the impact it could have on the US dollar? It's a great question, Manisha. It is a regular occurrence in the United States for debt limits for the federal government to be reevaluated and increased, which has been the trend. And it is often the case that there is quite a bit of political negotiation between the Republicans and the Democrats to some sort of a compromise that would allow for the debt ceiling to be raised. And then the government goes on with its daily business of paying its bills and repaying its debts. Now, it is often the case, especially over the last, let's call it 10 years, that these debt ceiling negotiations become quite contentious. But I would also say that historically, nine times out of 10, these negotiations come down to the final hour and then it gets resolved. What makes this year a little bit different is that it's not just the Democrats and the Republicans negotiating with each other. I think there's quite a bit of negotiation going on within the Republican Party between the fiscal conservatives and the other side of the party. And I think that complicates the narrative. And that also means that the chance of this negotiation going down really to the wire is quite high this year. And so I would expect increased anxiety as we get closer to June when this really becomes a hot topic. Do I think it will ultimately get resolved? Famous last words, but yes, I do. And so I'm not convinced it becomes a black swan sort of event, but I think it's important to at least have it on the radar. Let's talk, though, about the fact that there are still some crucial commodities that are still traded in US dollars. They are, of course, oil, for example. We know that, and you mentioned Russia just a moment ago when we were talking about treasuries, of course, the dollars often funnel back into US treasuries. What is the upshot given that Russia under sanctions and there may be changes in the way that some of these oil producing nations decide to use their dollars? The geopolitical tensions in the world over the last 12 months have raised all kinds of questions for how sovereigns might manage their currency reserves and their currency receivables, especially for commodity exporters. You're absolutely right. The significant majority of commodity trade is conducted in dollars. We have seen some examples where some sovereigns have explored the idea of denominating their commodity receivables in other currencies as a way of diversifying. It is obviously going on, but I think it would be overstating the case to say that that counts as evidence for the demise in the dollar. I think sovereign nations and reserve managers in some ways behave like investors do, which is that they want to reduce volatility in their exposure. They want to diversify. And if that means diversifying a little bit in terms of the currency of their receivables, then that probably makes quite a bit of sense to them. Am I anticipating or expecting a world where the majority of commodity trade shifts away from US dollars? No. And again, that's consistent with what I said earlier about not anticipating the demise of the dollar. Let's then talk about who benefits. So let's say we see a dollar decline further. Which of the currencies that we favor, the euro, for example, we've seen incredible euro strength, but where does it go from here? Well, look, let's start with the euro, because whenever we talk about a big dollar trend, it's very natural for people to say, OK, what does that mean for the euro as arguably the most important or, or the most widely watched currency pair? 
Now, one of the things that's been really challenging for the euro as a currency over the last 10 years from a cyclical point of view is a long period of economic underperformance, negative interest rates, and more recently, with the surge in energy prices that we saw last year, there was a real fear of an energy crisis in Europe that would mean a prolonged period of economic underperformance. And during that time, we saw the euro trade below parity against the dollar. Now, you're absolutely right. We've seen a bit of a resurgence in the euro. Part of that is people investing in European companies and financial assets that were historically cheap versus their dollar-denominated peers. European interest rates are now back in positive territory. So that attracts another cohort of investors. So I think over the next couple of years, people will be surprised by the strength of the currency. But in the very short term, energy prices being much lower today for Europe than they were last year, in our opinion, takes away a lot of the recession risk that people had built in for the euro area. So I think that's a positive story. Let's just touch on a couple of others as well, because of course, Standard Chartered is servicing clients in many parts of the world, but Asia in particular. And there is an interest in dollar yen. There is an interest in where the renminbi goes from here too. The Asia story, I think, is just starting again. We expect a good period of economic outperformance, but it will not be a straight line. And there are some challenges in the short term. We do believe, for example, that the Japanese yen should be much stronger over the course of this year. We're targeting a move back below 120 by the end of the year, which would be a good move from today's levels. RMB is one where I think a lot of the strength has already played out in the short term. We're now sitting around 6.8 versus the dollar, which I think is a stable level. And the reason I say that is even though China's economy is expected to recover dramatically, and in our opinion, with that economic recovery will be an outbound flow of capital as China's population starts traveling abroad again, as companies start investing abroad again. And so I think there will be a tug of war in terms of capital flows that probably keeps RMB quite stable. But I wouldn't assume that stability means it's not performing. I think it will be a stable to slightly stronger currency this year. For the rest of Asia, it's really a bunch of idiosyncratic stories. There are a few stories that we think will play out very well. Indonesia is one of them. We are expecting the Korean won to start to perform better in the second half of the year. Malaysia and Singapore should experience decent economic recoveries in the second half of the year. Again, we would expect their currencies to be more stable. So again, an opportunity, I think, for investors to increase their exposure to the region. Okay. So I'm going to start winding up now, Eric. You are not predicting structural collapse of the world's most heavily traded currency, but there are certainly changes afoot. This is the message that I'm getting. And of course, we cannot have this conversation without talking about the expected trajectory of US interest rates over the coming year. So let's end on that note, because this is something that many people are asking about, talking about, trying to navigate. What's your view? Yeah, look, I love it. Back to basics and focusing on U.S. rates. We have had a U.S. economy that I think has in some ways defied expectations in the short term. In other words, a little bit stronger than expected. We had a very strong labor report. We have a CPI report that I think was just strong enough to put pressure on the Fed to keep raising rates a couple of times. However, set against that, we do not expect long-term interest rates, i.e. 10 and 30-year yields, to go much higher from here. And we do expect that as the U.S. economy does slow down, 
10-year and 30-year treasury yields would finish the year closer to 3.3 or 3.4 as opposed to 3.8 where they are today. Now, for those paying attention, that means that the yield curve stays fairly deeply inverted, and that is our base case. The U.S. economy is going to slow. It's clearly doing so with a delayed reaction. But I think for the dollar, when the Fed signals that it's comfortable, that it has done enough in terms of this monetary tightening cycle, I think that's the point where you will see people really start to accelerate their plans to diversify out of dollars and seek better returns elsewhere. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're going to be watching all of those Fed rate decisions very closely. And of course, taking apart all of the comments that are made after the meetings. But for us, in terms of commentary, that's it for today. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it, Eric. Always do. Thank you so much, Manisha. A big thank you to Eric, as always. A big thank you to you, the audience, from me and the whole production team. You can reach out to Eric and his team if you have questions. So do get in touch. Let us know what you think. Bye for now.